It's a lot of fun when we can do that. And um, if that's something that you've been considering, that you've been joining us for a while, and you really, um, you know, just get the sense, because it is a calling, of course, when you join a church, because it is a family. Uh, you get that sense, and, and come and talk to me and let me know your thoughts. And, and um, you know, one of the, the ways to even to get started is to fill out those connection cards that are in front of you. Uh, to give us your information, and there's a way on the back to put down uh, prayer requests or even way, ways to get involved. Maybe you want to learn about membership and learn more about Trinity and what it is we believe here uh, and how we go about you know, living the Christian life together and fulfilling God's will for us and seeking after Him. And so if that's something that you're considering, you have questions about that, uh, just come and see me or contact me, shoot an email and Go to our website, our new website, trinityallenwood.com. So much information on there, and uh, you can visit that website and just check out everything that's going on, and of course our contact information is on there as well. So uh, just take advantage of that great resource and uh, stay connected with us uh, if you would. And so uh, as we move into this this part of our, our gathering, when we, we get to open God's Word together... Um, this is a reminder that this is uh, part two of a three-part series on living generously. And as I said earlier, um, what we just did before in giving our offering to the Lord, it's a, it is a big, important part of what we do, right? We, we need money, right? I mean, we know what it's like in our household, and this is no different. You need to keep the lights on, and we need to, to keep the AC going and the heat going and paying our bills and all that, Right? And so uh, it's important that we give, but it's so much bigger than that, right? Because there's, there's a bigger vision to that. You know, my, my wife, Claudia, is, is um, she has to work this morning, but she uh, has to be at another church because of a work event. But, you know, she often says, as she's a director of development for New York City Relief, a big ministry, she says, you know, people don't give. They're not motivated to give to pay the electric bill. What they're motivated to give is they're motivated to give for a bigger purpose and a bigger vision, right? Things like paying the bills, they all fall into that and they're part of that. We all get that, right? That's practical and reasonable. But what I think motivates people the most is when we can see that we're a, a part of something bigger, right? And so it's important that as we go through this series and today in, in part two, we remember that the passages of scripture that we're going to read and focus on and the things that we're going to kind of glean from, from the Scripture this morning, that we keep it you know, in the context of the fact that we are called to give and to live generously, right? above and beyond. We're going to kind of see a, a different way that, that God teaches us that this morning. And if you remember last week, we kind of started off by just talking about this idea and how giving goes way beyond our finances, but that's a, a really important part of it. But that how we're called to, um, to be humble, to recognize that all that we have comes from God to begin with, that there's a, uh, a big thing about ownership, right? Recognizing that um, we have to be good stewards, which means manager, of what God has given us. And it reminds us that, um, that all we have and all that we are is God's to begin with. So it's sort of like on loan to us for the years that he has us here. And that's, that's really the way that we need to view everything. Our health, right, our physical bodies, and our material possessions. And I even mentioned even like our family and our kids, right, that God has, has lent them to us for a while. 
you know. And um, so anyway, so that's sort of the mindset and the framework that we need to approach this second part as well. And so there's a very familiar story in Scripture that we're going to look at. But hopefully you'll be able to see it in a little bit different light this morning, especially in light of this filter that we're looking at as far as living generously. And it's a story of when Jesus performed a miracle to feed the 5,000, right? We all kind of, we know it, right? The fish and the loaves, and Jesus feeding the 5,000. And so it's a familiar passage to many of us. Even if you haven't read it before, you've kind of heard that. But what we want to do is just briefly look at different elements in this story and see what it is exactly that Jesus was trying to teach his disciples by performing this miracle. All right. So let me just pray for us and pray that God's word would um, would strengthen us and God's word would speak to us this morning as it is live, uh, alive and active, praying that God would transform us through his word. So let's pray. God, we're going to open your word now. And look at it and study it together. We do want it to transform us. We want it to renew our minds. God, we want it to uh, bring us closer to you. God, we desire that it would help us to produce that fruit of the Holy Spirit within us. As it helps us to be more trusting and be more obedient children. God, teach us to give like we've never given before. And that means just all of ourselves. That we would uh, be willing to surrender our lives to you. To give our heart and to give our mind to you. So God, bless us now as we open your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's the story. It'll be up for you on the screen. You can read it in in, uh, your Bibles as well. It's in Matthew chapter 14. And it's um, found in verses 13 to 21. This is actually, interestingly, that this is the only miracle, aside from the resurrection, that is um, accounted for in all four Gospels, right? So you know all four of the Gospels, they, they, they all, of course, tell the story of Jesus and his life and his ministry and his teachings, sort of from different perspectives and angles, and some of the writers, they focus on, you know, different parts of his life and teaching, but here is the one miracle that is uh, recorded in all four of his Gospels. And I'm going to refer to also uh, Mark and John and Luke and, and uh, to their, um, their version as well. Because good when this happens, to kind of put them all together, right? To kind of see how, um, get the bigger picture of the event. So here's what it says in Matthew's account of it. It says, starting in verse 13. Now when Jesus heard this, I'll, talk, I'll explain that in a minute. He withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. So when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. and He had compassion on them. And he healed their sick. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place and the day is now over. So send the crowds away to go to the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, we only have five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. And taking the five loaves and the two fish... 
he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves, gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. They all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about five thousand men, besides women and children. Really interesting story, right? So I want to kind of give you a little background, a little perspective, and we're just going to go through this sort of in order to kind of see what it is that Jesus is doing here. So first of all, we know that um, it says at the very beginning in Matthew's account, now when Jesus heard this, you know what he just heard? He had just learned of John the Baptist's death. He had just learned about that. So here is Jesus who just heard about John the Baptist, right, being martyred and his life being taken from him. And it says this is what Jesus did. He heard about it. It says he withdrew from where he was and he went in a boat to a desolate place by himself. When we hear of the death of a loved one or we're going through some kind of suffering or pain or some kind of illness or tragedy, Don't we often do that, even if it's not physically, but mentally and emotionally? We have to go off to a solitary place. Jesus did that. He often did that. Remember that? He often went and spent time with the Father. He needed time alone with God, away, away from the crowds. So Jesus heard of this tragedy, and he went away by himself to a desolate place so that he could mourn. But look at what it says. It says in the second half of 13, but when the crowds heard it, meaning when they heard what happened to John the Baptist, when they heard that Jesus was going off to a solitary place, did they leave him alone and give him his privacy? It said they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore and he saw this great crowd, he had compassion on them, And he healed their sick. Maybe that's part of the account we don't always remember, but before Jesus fed them, he healed their sick. So here was Jesus mourning the loss of John the Baptist. And he saw this great crowd. Couldn't you just imagine, like, wouldn't your first reaction be, I'm just trying to get some peace? I mean, they heard what happened, and Jesus goes off, they see it, And what's their reaction? They run. In Mark's account, it says they run after him on foot. They run to get there before him. They're chasing after Jesus. And he just can't get a moment alone. But here's Jesus' reaction. And what a great lesson for us. He's in this place mentally and emotionally, and he sees the great crowds. And he sees the great crowds, and what does it say? It doesn't say he got annoyed with them or that he went to another desolate place to try to avoid them. It said he had compassion on them. Not only did he go on to feed them, but he healed their sick. So Jesus, in a time of mourning and suffering, in a time of even uncertainty in his humanity, he had compassion. You know... um, when I had the opportunity to go visit 
the Steitles in the hospital, and hopefully all received the email that Dana is home. And uh, man, what what a what an amazing story about what God is doing in Dana's life and in the family's life. But spending almost a month, I think it is, in this in the ICU, and it's and sometimes we just really touch and go. And just so many prayers, just kneeling on the floor and the family just crying out to God. But you know what? Kim, who is Dana's mother, she shared with me that many times throughout those days, because she was there every day and every night, that God used her to minister to the hearts of other moms and dads who were also with their kids and their loved ones in the CCU. About, she would say, well, this... This person tried to overdose in the room right next to us and their parents are there. Or, or here, is a, here is a person who we don't even know, you know what's going on with him, but we see the family mourning and she would just walk out and feel compelled. Just to a complete stranger, can I give you a hug? And every time they said yes and strangers were embracing. And other times she would say, can I pray for you? Can I get you a blanket while you sit and by the bedside of your loved one? So here she was, mourning what was going on with Dana and, and suffering and struggling with God. But in the midst of that, God was calling her to pour out into other people's lives. When you're suffering, don't you feel like you have nothing left, right? Like nothing left to give and you need God to pour into you. But here is a great lesson for what God is teaching us here. Jesus was mourning and suffering and even in the midst of that he felt compassion and he served and he blessed he calls us to do the same so even if you're struggling god will bless you but he wants then to still use you to bless others so let's be let's be mindful of that always be ready always be ready to give that account of the hope and to bless somebody else even if it's with a cup of water or a blanket or just a hug, a word of blessing, but even in, in the midst of a dark, dark time, God will use us to be light to someone else. Amen? Isn't that amazing? God would do that. It's also a way, of course, for our healing to begin and to process that God will heal us as we give you know any counselor will tell you if you're struggling with something like depression one of the first things they'll say is go out and serve go help somebody take the focus off of yourself and go give and bless somebody else because what a healing process can begin while you're doing that but it's also a great reminder that we can only give as god gives to us that it's his strength within us because when we're suffering and mourning, we don't have anything left. But it's only God who blesses and gives. So it's out of His strength and His generosity towards us that we then give. You see that? That's like when we collect the offering, right? We try to remind ourselves, well, God, this is from you anyway. It's not like we're giving something, oh, this is mine. I did this apart from God. I did this on my own. It's all from God, you see. So God gives so we can give. Does that make sense? He gives us so that we can give to others. And He gives us abundantly. 2 Corinthians 1 says, Blessed be God, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, 
the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions, so that, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Did you get that? You should mark that down, 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4. So God comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort others. Amazing. So we move on. So as I mentioned before, it said the crowds followed him on foot running to get there. Can you imagine that? In, a little bit later, we're going to talk about the size of this crowd. But in Mark's account, it says they ran. They ran to get there before Jesus because they needed and were desperate to be with him. So here's what happens next, right? In verse 15, it says, Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him, and they said, you just picture this, this is a desolate place, the day is over, meaning it's getting darker. Jesus, send the crowds away. They can go get their own food. Send them to the villages, and they can buy their own food for themselves. So the disciples kind of read the situation. It was getting dark. There was thousands of people. Jesus needed time alone. They're like, let's call it a day. Today's over. Do you ever feel like that? At the end of a day, you're like, okay, my day is over. You know, I want this day to be over. I don't want to think about work anymore or anything. Let me just kind of veg out. Let me just read. Let me just pray. Let me just sit. Because you need this day to be over. And that's kind of what they were saying. They're just like, we're calling it a day. It's getting dark. We don't have enough food to feed you know, many people at all, right? And he says they can go get food on their own. That's kind of like us. We do that sometimes. When we know we're called to live generously and to give generously, oftentimes we have that mindset where it's like somebody else will take care of it. Somebody else will do it. You know, God might put a maybe a commercial to help feed the homeless or adopt a child, or He might bring somebody into your life a need you know, and oftentimes we do it in our sinfulness. Our first thought is, I know it's a need. Somebody else can do it. Somebody else can take care of that need. James later recounts this lesson in his letter, James 2.16. If one of you says, go in peace and be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So if God brings to your attention a need, pray about it. Consider it. Is God calling you to fill that need? Or is our first reaction, somebody else will take care of it? That's what the disciples did. They said, let them take care of themselves. They can go buy food for their own. It's not our problem, was their attitude. See, they also knew, of course, that Jesus was powerful enough to provide. Of course they knew that. But they didn't turn to Him and ask Him for help. Their first reaction was very practical. They kind of looked at their checkbook, so to speak, and said, no, I have nothing to give. They read the situation and like, no, there's no way this is going to work. They knew Jesus had the power. But they didn't ask Him. And they didn't turn to Him. Don't we do the same thing? We all sitting in this room, we all know without a shadow of a doubt, 100%, that Jesus is able to do whatever He wants to do. He is able to give us and to bless us with whatever we need and so much more in abundance. Am I right? He just performed this miracle. We know that He is a God of miracles. 
So we know it to be true, but we don't always act on that truth. The disciples who walked with Him and learned with Him, they touched Him, they sat with Him, they slept next to Him. They did the same thing. They saw a crowd of thousands, and you would think they'd be like, "Ah, what's Jesus going to do next? Jesus, how are you going to do this? They just said, no, let's call it a day. No way this is going to happen. In John's account, it says this, Lifting up his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? An interesting take on it. And he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. So in John's account, Jesus is actually testing Philip and says, Philip, how are we going to feed these people? (laughs) You picture that? Kind of funny, right? He's like, all right, Philip, what are we going to do now? And Philip, what does Philip do? Because it says that Jesus knew, of course, what he was going to do. So here's Philip's answer in John 6, verse 7. 200 denarii worth of bread wouldn't be enough for each of them to even get a little bit. So Philip is being really practical. So his first response is, I don't know, Jesus. We could take all this money, 200 denarii, we could buy all this bread worth, and it still wouldn't be enough for everybody to get a little bit of morsel. He's thinking very practically. right? He's not letting Jesus be Jesus. He's not relying upon the supernatural power of Jesus Christ Himself who was sitting right next to Him. And He's also thinking, listen, He's also thinking in terms of His own ability. He's thinking, I can't give them, because He's thinking of His own ability. When God calls us to live generously, again, it's because of how He gives us abundantly and how generous He is to us. That's how we can give out of God's generosity. All right? It's not about what we can kind of muster up ourselves. It's about recognizing that God first blessed us. So then look at what Jesus said in verse 16. I love this. He says, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. How about that? So Jesus turns to them and says, you do it. Now, of course, Jesus could have gone like this and there would have been enough food for anybody, even more than fish and bread, whatever he wanted. We know that, of course. But what does Jesus do? See, this is a real teaching moment. Jesus had many of them. This miracle is a great teaching moment where Jesus is teaching his disciples about faith and trust. He's teaching them about, do you trust me enough? So he says, you give them something to eat. And they're probably all just like, I just told you. We opened our, we looked at what we got here. I don't have enough. Jesus says, you give them something to eat. So what does that mean for us? Well, first of all, it means that God uses us to bless others. We need to remember that. I said earlier, he calls us together as a church. He does it so we can help each other and we can bless each other in the gifts we've been given, in our talents, our abilities, right? Some of you are really gifted in encouragement. We need that. We need you to be vocal and to speak into our lives and encourage us. Some of you are truly blessed to give naturally. It's just a part of who you are. We need you to not only give generously and abundantly, but to encourage others and to teach others how to give. So I'm inserting a plug right here for Financial Peace University. Starting on October 10th, a great opportunity to learn 
about what it means to simply surrender all that you have to God and how to handle your finances biblically. But there it is. So Jesus is saying, look, I'm going to bless these people, but I'm going to use you to do it. What a, maybe one of the most important lessons in here is that that's how God blesses other people. His church and people outside these four walls, He uses us. Isn't that amazing? That should be humbling as well. So He tells them, He says, nah, they don't need to go get their own. We'll take care of them. And He's probably like, alright, cool. He's like, you go do it. Doesn't He send us out on mission? Doesn't He not call us to go and to help others? So here's another great application for that. They said, we don't have enough. But Jesus said, go and do it. That tells me that what Jesus is saying is that we need to start with what we have. You do what you can do. If you don't feel like you can give in any way, financially or through your time or the talents He's given you, yes, you can. Just start with what you have. Even if you say, God, I only have this little bit. I got some loaves and fish. I don't have anything to give. There's other people. They can do that. They can really give. Jesus is just saying, start with what you have. So Jesus says, well, how much do we have? Five loaves, a couple fish. He says, you go feed them. So start with what you have. Do what you can do. Luke 16.10 says, One who is faithful in a very little will also be faithful in much. It starts with very little. We can't wait around to say, okay, when I make my first million, then I'm going to start giving. You watch. Man, I'm going to give. Man, I'm going to give. If we all waited around for that, man. Right? But what he's saying is just give. And the little bit that you might have, that he might be blessing you with now, doesn't mean it's always going to be that way, but he says start. Do what you can do. Start with what you have. We need to be available and hold on to our possessions with open hands like this, being good stewards of it so we're taking care of it, but always holding it up to heaven, recognizing that it's all from God to begin with. Right? Great lesson in faith and trust for the disciples. So the next thing we see here is that Jesus asks the Father's blessing. So in verse 18 it says, Okay, bring them here to me, meaning the, the five loaves and two fish. Verse 19, then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. Right? Create a little order here. Take the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up to heaven and he said a blessing. Can you picture it? So he was holding them in his hands and he looked up to bless uh, to the heaven and he blessed them. And he said a blessing. Then what did he do? Then he broke the loaves. He gave them the fish to the disciples and they gave them to the crowds. So he asked the Father's blessing. Do you ask God to bless you? Not just to give. Do you ask Him to bless what you have so that you can bless in your giving? God, bless me in my ability to bless others. We often ask for God's blessing that He would give us. God, bless me with what I need. Maybe we can kind of start our focus being, God, bless me in my ability to give. Help me to bless others. Less worry about what we don't have, but instead asking, how can we bless others with what we do have? So then it says, 
they all ate. After he blessed it, he broke the loaves. More on that in a second. He gave the food to them. And it says, they gave it to the crowds. But then look what verse 20 says. I mean, there's so much in here, we kind of just like, wait. There's so much more that they have to explain. Because it says, he took the five loaves, the two fishes, he broke the bread, he blessed it, gave it to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And then verse 20, they all ate and were satisfied. I mean, is that, is that enough for you? How, how did he do that? How did this work? They all ate. As they gave, just picture it, as they gave, as they took out of the basket and gave a piece of bread and a piece of fish, they would reach back in and the basket was replenished. The basket was continually full. They reached in and they gave and they looked and there was more. They gave and there was more. They gave and they received. It kept multiplying as they gave. The disciples were completely dependent on Jesus for that provision. He just said, go and give. They're like, all right, and they're starting with this. And they keep giving. They were not giving out of their abundance or their ability. They were giving out of Jesus' provision. You see that? Jesus is the one who kept blessing it as they gave. There was more. As they gave, there was more. The more they gave, the more there was. God continually replenished that supply. He also did it with abundance because it said, and afterwards they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces. Isn't that beautiful? We often forget that part of the story. God blessed them not just with like just enough. There was some left over. When you have a great meal, as you're finishing it up, don't you kind of like, I hope there's more. I hope there's leftovers. I'm going to have some more right now. I'm going to have some more tomorrow. And you, you can't wait. You're just like, I'm so excited so full but man there's more coming tomorrow Isn't that great so jesus not only blessed them with what they needed but he even gave them like what they wanted it's the same thing with us we ask god to bless our needs and he does but he often also gives us some of what we want right maybe the things we don't need but things we desire so there was even some left over because god gives with abundance ephesians 3 Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think, according to the power at work within us, his power, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. What a great blessing. A reminder that it is in him that we have our strength and our provision, him who is able to do far more abundantly than what we can even ever imagine. And there were leftovers. Now, let's get to this. It says in verse 21, those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. So here's what scholars believe, and it's kind of easy to kind of put the math together, right? 5,000 men is what we're counted about, plus the women and children. So there was probably... Right? We don't know for sure, but probably, if you do the math, about fifteen to 20,000 people. So we think about the fish and the loaves story, and we kind of think of maybe a few people sitting on the hillside, and God does this miracle. Think about, 50, not 5,000, 15 to 20,000 people. 
That's about how much Madison Square Garden holds. You ever been to Madison Square Garden? See a hockey game or event or a concert? Maybe you go to a a big arena somewhere. You go to an outdoor festival or concert. 20,000 people. It's like if you were to just picture Madison Square Garden full to capacity, that's how many people Jesus fed. That's the size of the crowd that ran after him to meet him there before he even got there. That's the size of the crowd that he walked among to heal their sick. Isn't that amazing? This is the size of the crowd that Jesus decides that he's going to have compassion on. And he feeds them. We kind of have to keep that in perspective. The size of the crowd that was there. Almost 20,000 people. We, it's hard to even wrap our minds around that. You've all probably been to some kind of event where there was that many people. Can you imagine standing in the middle of that crowd and, and every one of those people, they're looking at you and they're looking to you for something to eat. And they're calling out to you, heal me, Jesus, heal me, heal me, heal my son, heal my daughter. It says he healed their sick. And with just a little bit they had, he blessed every one of them with a meal, with some left over. So for some concluding thoughts on this passage about what it teaches us about living generously. This miracle that Jesus performs, this miracle of provision, it also kind of recalls our memory to God blessing the people in the wilderness, the people of Israel, providing manna. When he did that, he was testifying to who he was and his provision. So Jesus doing that, it's like he is saying, I am God. It's a testimony to his deity. Because of what he did and what God the Father had, did, had done before him by providing, providing manna in the wilderness. John 6, in his, um, uh, listen to what it says in John 6, 25 to 35, in his uh, account of this. Just listen to this. It says, When they found him on the other side of the sea, going back to the beginning of the story, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? <laughs> Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, You're seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes. See, now he's making it spiritual. He says, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Talking about himself. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus said, this is the work of God that you believe in Him, He has sent. So they said to Him, What sign are you going to do that we may see and believe you? What work will you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, as it's written. So they're quoting the Bible to Jesus. They say, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. So they're like, Can you do the same thing? So Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, it was not, listen to this, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. See that? He's saying God is the one who provided. He used His servant Moses like God uses us to bless others. But He said, make no mistake, it was God who blessed. But He says, for the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven, just like the manna, right? and gives life to the whole world, just like the feeding of the 5,000. See how it all goes together? Jesus, he says, is he's the bread of life. So they say in verse 34, uh, Sir, give us this bread always. So Jesus said, 
I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. See that? So this great miracle, it testifies back to the providing of manna in the wilderness and how God provides for his people. And Jesus says, I'm the bread of life because I came from heaven just like the manna. And if you believe in me and follow me, you're never going to thirst or hunger again. You won't be looking for those signs. But what's also cool is that this miracle also looks not only back to that miracle, but to the Last Supper. Remember what Jesus did at the Last Supper with the bread? What do we say once a month when we do the communion? That He took the bread and He broke it. And He said, this represents my body, right? This is my body. Jesus did the same thing here with the loaves, with the fish and the loaves. He takes the loaves of bread. He blesses them, remember? And it says, He breaks the bread. It's His body to satisfy. He is the bread of life. He taught that the next day, by the way. After the feeding of the the 20,000. The next day He taught that, that He is the bread of life. The people were coming back for more. And He's just like, I know why you're here, because you ate and now you want some more. He's like, don't worry about where you're going to get your provision. Just know that I am your provision. See that? That's what Jesus is teaching us there. That He is the bread of life. We still, don't we, don't we still, still seek the bread that goes stale and goes bad? Meaning the material things in life. Those things that don't truly satisfy. Did you ever wonder what it is that they put in Chinese food? That after you eat, right? You're like so stuffed. You're like, oh, I can't believe I just ate all that. And then like 20 minutes later, you're like, I am starving. I don't know what it is, right? But it's, it's genius. But it's like, yeah, because, well, yeah, you're satisfied for a little while. But that's kind of the way it is with us. It's just like, you know, we look for things in this life to satisfy us. And they might satisfy us for a little while. But they don't nourish us and sustain us forever. Only Jesus, the bread of life, can do that. I said this once before. There's this great quote from an old theologian. He says, We are but beggars showing other beggars where to find bread. Did you get that? As believers, followers of Jesus, we are simply beggars showing other beggars where to find the bread. Which means we we were looking, right? We were lost but now found and we now know where the bread is. Right? So what are we called to do? To give. To share. Right? To be generous in abundance, and show others, I know where the bread is. It's the bread of life. The hope is in Jesus Christ and Him alone. You know, when you go to serve, whether it's New York City Relief and the relief bus, or you go to a soup kitchen, or you go and you serve, you're giving out clothes, or you're just maybe serving um, someplace, another church, a ministry, or something, and you're serving other people, don't you always recognize how like when you're done at the end of that day, you feel more blessed yourself than you feel like you were a blessing. Almost like feeling guilty, like, man, I came here to bless others, and man, I just feel so blessed. What does it say in Acts 20? It was quoting, it says, Jesus Himself even said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So we are called to give. As God blesses us, we bless others. See, us being faithful and trusting as He was teaching His disciples to be, It's not based on our great skill. 
or our intellect. But it's simply in starting with doing what we can. Because in the hands of Jesus, just a little bit is enough. Because what does He do? In our faith, we share what we have, we trust in Him, and in the hands of our Lord, it gets transformed and multiplied. That's what He's teaching us in the story of the loaves and the fish. He said, bring that little bit to me. And He said, now you go and feed. He didn't just do it while we stood by the side. He's using us to bless and to help others. It's an amazing thing that God chooses to do that. But as we take the little bit we've been given and we surrender it to Him, He will take that little bit and transform it and multiply it in a supernatural way outside of our own ability or strength to bless many others, to plant many seeds. Right. So let's remember all these things that, that God is, is doing. And as He transforms what we're giving to bless others, we ourselves are transformed more into His likeness, being humble and living generously. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the blessings of Your Word. God, You are so good to us, and we recognize Your goodness, but God, we know we need to act on Your goodness. To be generous in all that we have, because it all comes from You. So thank You, Lord, for Your special Word today. Help us, Father God, to... Remember as we come back and revisit this story often in our lives that we would remember that you are truly teaching us, your disciples, about trusting in you and just handing over what you've given us and saying, God, do amazing things with it. Use me. I'll be blessed by it, but I want to be a blessing to others. We pray for your help in doing that, Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.